Thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for your faithfulness in praying for us and encouraging us, speaking to us. I'm excited about the things of God. I know that we're in this phase or that phase. I know that people are experiencing uh, some different uh, things as a result of restrictions. But I'm glad that God is still on the throne. And uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. We'll be receiving an offering after a while. But you have been very faithful and you have been very good about it. And God has supplied the needs. I want you tonight to think about uh, this song that we've just sung. Last week I spoke on the subject, Walk in the Spirit. And we sang, The Comforter Has Come. You remember that? We sang about the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I'm speaking on the subject, the fruit of the Spirit, and we sang, fill me now. Now, somebody might be wondering, what's all this talk about? Are we going Pentecostal? Uh, is that the case? No, we're born again, Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptist. We've not gone Pentecostal. I've got some Pentecostal friends, but... I tell you what, whatever they've got, we had first. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and uh, we don't do things to excess or over the edge, but we do things in balance as we are led of the Spirit. But the Word of God commands us to be filled with the Spirit. It is, not, it is not an option. It is a command to be directed by the third person of the Trinity, who is God Himself. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with with the Spirit. The song we've just sung is just filled with so many wonderful terms and great doctrine. It's just loaded. It starts off with the word, Hover o'er me, Holy Spirit. That, that is a picture that we see in the book of Genesis when the Spirit of God hovered over or brooded over the then uh, yet to be completed creation. That's a tremendous picture. The Holy Spirit of God, who is God, hovers o'er us. And the reason is, like the creation in Genesis chapter 1 wasn't yet complete, guess what? He's not finished working on us yet, is He? There's more to do. There's more for God to produce in and through us. And that's what this being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about. Hover o'er me, Holy Spirit. Bathe my trembling heart and brow. You talk about needing a bath. When we come in from this world, wow, we need, we need a spiritual bath. This world is filled with so much rottenness and filth and nastiness. I just hate the devil. I, I got to tell you tonight, if you hadn't guessed that already, I hate the devil. And uh, just like I love Jesus more and more, I love him better every day. I hate the devil worse and worse every day. Come on. Come on. We ought to hate the devil. We ought to hate the world. We ought to hate the flesh. Because these are conspiring against what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through. So we need a bath. We need a spiritual bath. How many of you could use one of those? I got my hand up, all right? Let's get a spiritual bath. Fill me with thy hallowed presence. Hallowed presence. What a great way to describe the work of the Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. His hallowed presence. This whole business of the fruit of the Spirit has to do with His presence. With His presence. I don't know who you hung out with this week, but sooner or later it's going to show. Come on. I don't know who you've been talking with this week, 
But sooner or later, it's going to reveal itself in our speech and in our thinking and in our attitudes. Did you ever have a kid that was out of sorts? And the first thing you ask is, who have you been hanging with? Who have you been running with? Who's doing this to you? Who's, who's affecting your attitude? What have you been going, what's been going on with you? So fill me with thy hallowed presence. Come, O come, and fill me now. Thou canst fill me, gracious spirit. The spirit of grace. The Bible speaks of grace and the spirit of grace. Though I cannot tell thee how. That's John chapter 3 all over again. That sums up everything that Jesus was telling Nicodemus about being born again and how we don't know how the Spirit moves, but we know that He moves. And the way we know that He moves is by the results, by the end product. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. You cannot see how He is moving, but you can see the results of His moving in and through us when He's got control of us. But I need thee, greatly need thee. We need to sense that. We need to, we need to let that truth grip us. Oh, we greatly need Him. Come, oh come and fill me now. There are uh, some times when the fullness of the Spirit to us as believers is taken for granted and we, we, just, uh, we think of the fullness of the Spirit as an afterthought, as an add-on, as an extra. It can't be that way. The fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit must be primary. It must be basic. Being filled with the Spirit must be a basic experience for us every day. I am weakness, full of weakness. We see our, our need of Him. At Thy sacred feet I bow, blessed, divine, eternal Spirit. He, he didn't just, just to pop up sometime recently. The Holy Spirit is God, eternal. Fill with power and fill me now. Cleanse and comfort, bless and save me. Bathe, O bathe my heart and brow. Thou art comforting and saving. Thou art sweetly filling now. Somebody might say, well, I've got the fullness of the Spirit. I don't see the sweetness. If there's not the sweetness, if there's not that sweet aftertaste, that aroma, that, that uh, sweetness, then something's missing. Something's lacking. We need the sweetness of the Spirit. This all works together with what Paul was writing to the Galatians about. Uh, they had been misled, and Galatianism was the heresy that Paul was writing about when he wrote the book of Galatians. He wrote the letter to the churches of Galatia, of southern Turkey. They had been saved. They had learned of Christ, but then a false teacher, a heretic, came on the heels of the apostle and, and taught falsely that you can't just become a Christian, you have to become a Jew, you got to go through the Jewish rituals first before you can become a Christian. This is wrong, absolutely wrong. What comes out of false teaching is every kind of expression of the flesh. And we have just seen a long laundry list of the works of the flesh in chapter 5 of Galatians. There are 17 of them, and they're all right up there in, uh, in, in contention for the ugliness award. Our Christianity takes on a bad cast when we allow the flesh to have its wicked way in directing our attitudes, our behavior, our thoughts, our words. God spare us from the control, the direction, the influence of the works of the flesh. We must constantly yield to the Spirit of God and have that genuine 
moment-by-moment renewal of the Holy Ghost. We are saved. We're never going to be lost once we've been born again. But we don't always act like it. We don't always think like it. We don't always behave like it. We don't always influence others. They have no idea that we've been born again when we act like heathens. God help us to yield to the Spirit of God. We need Him to come and to bathe us spiritually and come and fill us graciously and sweetly and affect us so that when people look at us, they see the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in and through our lives. So now we're coming to this passage about the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you at some time in your saved experience, you've been in a class or you've been perhaps in a service where you went over the fruit of the Spirit and you learned the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. All right, we're going to be reading in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, where it says, But the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance, those are the nine. Number them, write notes if you want to there, and number them and learn them. It has been suggested that they may group into groups of three, three groups of three, and that might help you also as a memory device. But don't change the words. Now, if you've got some other translation, some other paraphrase of the Scriptures, other than the good old King James Bible then you probably got some other words replaced in there. Don't allow that. Just say, excuse me, uh, I wouldn't think of changing the Word of God. So these words that are here, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, uh, these, these, uh, these nine are the words that we need to learn. Against such there is no law. Now, Paul's been talking to the Galatians about the law, the place of the law, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. The law is that schoolmaster that brought us unto Christ. The, the, the law is that which prepared us in knowing that we were helpless and needy without the Lord. We had to come to the Lord. We were unable to do for ourselves. But there's no law against this fullness, this fruitfulness, of the Holy Spirit out of our life. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. There's something to do. Put it on your to-do list, Christian. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There's a difference. Living and walking in. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now we're getting back into this business of one side against the other, one Christian individual in an ongoing running debate with another. I'm tired of that. I'm, I'm, I'm so weary of that after all these years being brought up in the midst of, of uh, the staunchest fundamentalists. My family was known as a fundamentalist royalty. That's what Johnny Pope calls us. Fundamentalist royalty. And I said, be careful about that. There are a lot of scandals in royalty. But uh, fundamentalist royalty. We were brought up so fundamental. Dotting every I, crossing every T, being exact and precise 
in what the very words of God, the preserved words of God have to say. But you know what? I am tired of fighting with other believers who don't have a heart for God. If they don't have a heart for God, I don't want to fight with them. I want to pray for them. I don't want to fight with them. I want to be friendly toward them without being best friends and try to help them. I want to influence them. I want to help them. I want, when I go home to be with God, they'll say, there was a man that had the spirit of Jesus Christ in his life and had the gentleness and the, the meekness that we see instead of just always being on somebody else's case. I am not suggesting for one second that we back up, compromise, or be less fundamental than we are. I would rather die than not be a fundamentalist. I want to be fundamental, independent, and take the right stand. But I don't want to be nasty about it. I don't want to be the kind of person that when folks see me coming, they're saying, oh, here it comes. What's he going to fix now? What's he going to straighten out now? I don't want to be that way. I want us to demonstrate that fruit of the Spirit that comes by us naturally, or supernaturally, let's say that, because of who we hang with and who we associate with. Let's have prayer. Father, fill me now. Help me as I speak. Now, there's some parts of this that are difficult to understand, and I pray that all of us will yield now to your leadership in this. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been accepted by God. Not because we worked up to it, earned it, deserved it. Uh, not because we've kept enough laws or rituals to get the approval, you know, the stamp of God on our life. We've been accepted by God, what? Because of Jesus Christ. Now when Jesus Christ walked here on this earth in the days of His flesh, as we frequently use that phrase by the writer of Hebrews, He manifested a spirit a presence, and that spirit of that presence was the, the flowing of the, of the third person of the Trinity out of his life. So even though he had on those bones of his, you know, uh, skin and uh, flesh physically, materially, as you and I have, and even though he had the appearance of a man, he became a man, he was robed in the flesh of a man, yet he was without sin. And everything else that would have gotten in the way, he removed it, got it out of the way by being the perfect God-man and thereby showing us how we can manifest the same Spirit. Manifesting that fruit of the Spirit of the third person of the Trinity. That's it. When Jesus died, He died to free us from the, from the uh, limitations and restrictions of the law and the judgments and condemnations that come upon us because we are unable to keep it. And instead, He placed within us a desire to yield, to allow the, the Holy Spirit to have control over every aspect of our life. So every part of us should be controlled by Him. Now, Jesus Christ is who makes us acceptable to God. And what comes with this is the appearance or the attitude or the words or the behaviors, the patterns of Jesus Christ. That is the, the Christian's walk. It is the spirit walk. It is to walk with a certain bearing, to walk with the bearing of God's very 
nature. You and I are aware of the fact that in the Bible we find the attributes of God. These are characteristics of God. These were manifest in the, the human life of Jesus Christ. And so he made them uh, apply on a daily basis and we can see how the attributes of God Almighty were seen through the life of Jesus Christ, the God-man, on a daily basis. That's what people ought to see in us. If we allow the Spirit of God to control us, then, then this world will not see our flawed life and personality. Instead, they will see the personality as it has been purified and is used by God for His purposes. will be the channel of blessing to others. Now, when I think of the very first of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, I think about that great compelling uh, force, the motivation for God's uh, sending His Son to take our place and providing for us eternal life and keeping us and putting up with us no matter what. It's all because of what? Because of agape love. And this love, threefold, I want you to put it down. When it is agape love, it's for the ungodly. It's for the ungodly. Number two, it is for unworthy sinners. Ungodly and unworthy sinners. And then number three, it is for undeserving enemies. Undeserving enemies. Now you say, well, preacher, isn't there, isn't there some agape love in there? that uh, is to be spread around among the saints of God. Yes, absolutely. But that's, see, that's after the, the, effect, the effect. That's, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's not before Christ B.C. That's, that's after we've met Jesus Christ. And then it becomes the, the uh, usual behavior on our part to love one another because He first loved us. To, to spread that love around, yes. But prior to that, when God chose to love us, He didn't choose to love us because we were any good. We were not godly. We were not worthy. We were not deserving. But He chose to love us. He chose to set His love upon us. When we are manifesting that same agape love, then we're loving people, desiring God's best for even those who are the most ungodly for those who are the most unworthy, for those who are the most undeserving. Today, an individual, won't share any confidences, but an individual had a, a, an almost altercation with somebody who's been uh, mistreating, abusing uh, on the job. And my, after I prayed about it, I, I sent this text and I said, you need to pray for that individual because undoubtedly that person is a tool of Satan, a tool of the devil. So you need to pray for them. And pray and pray and pray and pray and keep on praying and keep on praying until God does something for both of you. And you can go ahead and tell that person that, that you are getting angry enough in the flesh to want to react to what that person was doing that was wrong. But because you belong to Jesus Christ, you didn't and you won't. And even though the principle and the issue has not changed, our response has. That's it. 
Sometimes prayer doesn't change things. Sometimes prayer just changes us. Come on now. Amen. Amen. And that's where the need is for us to be changed. God chose to love us when we didn't deserve it. We need to love others and desire God's best for them when they don't deserve it either. As you look at this fruit of the Spirit, notice that it is singular, not plural. Because it is like a great cluster of fruit growing together. It may not be nine different fruits. So never refer to it as the various fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit. Because we're talking about one Holy Spirit. We're talking about one God. So it's not nine different fruits. It's the, it's the variety of traits that are manifested out of the Spirit of God, out of our life as we yield to Him. So that fruit is growing together. Think about it. I wonder how many times we've had the wrong idea about what love really is. It's an intense desire above all to please God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. It is then also that we secondarily uh, love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's an intense love. It's not, it's not just a moderate love. It's not just, well, we're going we're gonna to try just a thin layer of love here. We'll see how that goes. And then uh, next time around, we'll increase the recipe. And, and no, it doesn't work that way. We are to intensely love as God intensely loved us. How much love did it take to get us out of hell? How much love did it take to redeem our lost souls and make us new creatures in Christ? Think about that. The very soul and spirit of true belief is found in this heart of love. It fulfills the law and it gives energy to faith itself. It's the love of God that is beyond all comprehension. Number two, among the traits of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's not the joy that the world gives. It's the joy that only God can give. And the world can't take it from you. It arises from a sense of God's mercy communicated to the soul in the pardon of our sin, our wickedness, our iniquity, our nastiness. That's what we have. We have joy that floods, it comes up, bubbles over. We have the, that abundant life as a result. Number three, peace. Now peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is that calmness that's in the midst of all the things that are going on around us that, that seem in the five sense world to be so great, so destructive, about ready to push us over to the edge. But you know what? Peace is greater than all those things that the world throws at us. Number four is long-suffering. And this is putting up with, bearing the frailties and the provoking of others. And if there's an irritant in your life, then God has permitted that irritant so that we would manifest long-suffering. And that's what you say. You say, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're in my life, sir, ma'am. I'm glad you're in my life. You know why? Because that proves a need for the fourth trait of the fruit of the Spirit, which is long-suffering, because it takes every bit that God gives me to put up with you. All right? Number five is gentleness. Number five is gentleness. It means... Uh, uh, to be a gentle man or a gentle lady. It means to handle 
with care, with God's grace that's given. It's a very rare quality. But as we yield to the Spirit of God, this gentleness comes out. Now you might say, that's just not my way. I'm just a little rougher than all of uh, others around me. You know, I'm just blunt. I'm who I am. Well, then that's where God needs to work on us and the Spirit of Christ needs to be seen. You know, the, the one who spoke peace and the calm came to the sea and to the wind is the same one who gently took up the little children in his arms and blessed them. Gentleness, gentleness. There are people right now who need the gentleness of the Spirit, but they're never going to experience the gentleness if it's, if it's our rough, tough ways out front instead of yielding to the Spirit of God. Number six trait of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And that means, as we've been told, to abstain from every appearance of evil. It is a virtue that is rarely seen as a quality in the life of believers. I don't want to do anything, go anywhere, say anything, or behave in such a way that people might get the wrong idea about Jesus Christ. Number seven, faith. Faith. Not the faith by which we're justified, no. But it means the trust that others have in us because we have proven ourselves to be the one that you can count on, the one that you can trust because of Jesus Christ. Jesus never lets us down and we should never let anyone down because we are people of faith that comes by the Spirit. Then number eight is meekness, meekness. And meekness is not weakness, but it is strength under control. It is our being controlled and being mild and, and, uh, and being able to deal with those that are themselves self-destructive and, and, uh, and being patient and, and putting up with the injuries and the things that are said and done and the slights that are uh, coming our way. Moses was the meekest of all men, we remember, but he was a great leader. Number nine is temperance. Temperance means self-control. Paul speaks of moderation in Philippians and chapter 4. We need to be careful about what we eat and what we consume and, and uh, don't go out and uh, brag about uh, our lack of control. Against such there is no law. That means that those whose lives are graciously adorned by these, the nine traits of the fruit of the Spirit, these virtues cannot be condemned by any law uh, that, that means that God's got a place of service where there's not going to be a blight on the name of Jesus Christ or the cause of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Well, as it says there in our scripture, we crucify our flesh. And what does it mean to crucify our flesh? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This is a verse that we need to memorize. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In place of the old life, the old self-willed way of living, of indulging self, of doing whatever I want to do, of saying, well, I was saved by free grace and I can just do and decide whatever I want to, go anywhere with whomever I want to under any circumstances. Instead, we say, Lord, what's your will? And we crucify the flesh. We're crucified with Christ that a greater, higher, nobler cause 
might be attained. We crucify our flesh, you say, how often? As often as is needed. Are you listening to me? For someone who has indulged the flesh many times over the years, many times in a day, you may have to crucify the flesh that many times or many times that. It's helpful to understand that our old nature, the old man, as Paul writes of him, operates on the basis of what he or she, in your case, ladies, feels like or wants to do. And if you've ever been at your worst, if I've ever been at my worst, it's been because I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. Nobody, not even God, tell me what to do because I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the flesh in full bloom. Not a very pretty picture. And there's a lot of destruction in its wake. How many decisions, how many choices have we made in our life on that basis? Something happened where we allowed that thing to bubble up and go past the point of control and now there's no control in it. And we've said, I'm going to do what I want to do and don't tell me what to do because I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That's the old nature. And oh, I'll be so glad when the rapture occurs and that stinking old nature stays in the grave when I go on up. Amen. The new nature operates on a different principle entirely. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I love this entire chapter. It says in verse 21, If so be that ye have heard Him, and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, that's your life before, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, the new nature, after which God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Then we have some specifics about putting away certain things, lying and, and wrong talk and, and uh, anger uh, without a cause and, and uh, giving place to the devil and so forth. We have to crucify the flesh and, and allow the new nature under the control of the Holy Spirit to be seen. Our decisions and our choices then will be based upon what is right and pleasing to God and what a contrast that will be with our former life. The way you know that you're full of and led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is that you don't make the same old dumb mistakes that you made before. You're not going the same old dumb direction that you went before. And instead, you're going the way that God would have us to go. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. And so we need to walk and live in the Spirit. To walk and to live in the Spirit. It may seem like a simple Simple recipe. And as basic as it is, it is very basic and is very simple, but it requires a decision on our part every day. I don't know if you have to get up and look in the mirror and address yourself by your first name or do it like your mom did, give, you know, address you by your whole given name, every syllable of it, like you're in trouble. You know, so you get in the mirror and, and you address yourself and you say, Today, 
I am not going to decide on the basis of what I want. Today, I am going to allow the Lord to have complete control and make all the choices and all the decisions. And that includes everything that we do, wherever we are, with whomever we are. Live in the Spirit today. That means today, on today's schedule, on today's day planner. Today, you say, I am going to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. It is a willful and deliberate choice whereby I'm going to experience success and not failure. Now, there's always the danger of super spirituality. I'm talking about people who think that they have arrived. And Paul was careful to say, I have not yet apprehended that for which I am apprehended. We have not yet arrived. Verse 26 addresses that. says, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Look at me. Look how spiritual I am. Look at me walk in the Spirit. No. Provoking one another, envying one another. We're not going to choose up sides and see who's the most spiritual. Super spirituality, that attitude can be as counterproductive as any of the 17 works of the flesh that we've read about in this fifth chapter. One of my mentors explained the fruit of the Spirit and the manifestation of it in our life in a wonderful way in this book, which was written so many years ago, Meet the Holy Spirit by Dr. Jack Hiles. I would recommend it for anybody. Good book. Now, Dr. Hiles was human just like I'm human, just like every person is human. But he really captured the essence of this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And he's pointing out that that is the process. That's the mechanism. As we behold with open face, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same Im image from glory to glory. So each mundane, everyday experience, whatever it may be, think about it, from the time you get up until the time you go to bed, everything that goes down during the day, segment it, talk about it, label it, okay, every aspect of it. We should be looking in that glass and we should be moving from glory to glory with the image of Jesus Christ being seen in how we take care of every challenge, how we deal with every decision, every choice, every operation of life. It should be Jesus. Now as we walk with Christ and fellowship with Him and become more like Him, we then begin to yield the fruit of the Spirit. So he's saying... In his lifetime, there were two men that had a great influence upon him. He said, I did not sit down and study their lives. One was a relative, and the other was Dr. John R. Rice, with whom he did uh, hundreds of conferences over the years in many places. But he said, I just hung out with my uncle, and my, my early development was largely along the lines of what my uncle was as a man, I needed a, a role model. His own father was an alcoholic, wasn't home. And so he saw in his uncle uh, and, and walked like his uncle walked and talked like his uncle talked and developed many of the characteristics of his uncle. And then as he became a young preacher, he was taken under the, the protective and guiding wing of Dr. John R. Rice. What a blessing that was. And spent all those many hours with him. And they... 
they ate and they, they spent time fellowshipping one with another. He said, I just walked with John R. Rice. I walked with John R. And people began to comment on the similarity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when we walk with the Lord from, from experience to experience, from glory to glory, and Jesus Christ is seen, that becomes a part of our behavior, a part of our attitude. The, the Holy Spirit of God is seen out of our life. And people are seeing Jesus Christ act and react and respond. And it's not, it's not the work of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. It is a natural thing. It is a process whereby the fruit of the Spirit is seen because of the influence of the Spirit of God, the yielding to the Spirit of God as we are there. Every, it's not like we try to behave like the Holy Spirit or try to behave like Jesus Christ, but instead we're yielding to the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. There it is. Very simple. Very plain. Now the end result of a person who does that would be what I have noticed with some of the great preachers that I've had the privilege to know and with whom I've had to do. I'm very thankful that I've known some of the, the great men and women of God in my lifetime. But you know what I noticed about all of them? They were all humble. Now they might have come across in the pulpit as being very gregarious and might have told a joke and laughed and you know, been loud and so forth. But in person, every one of the great men of God, I speak of them frequently, they were all humble. Every one of them. Humble. I can tell you right now, I could, I could name you some names of some great preachers that were very aggressive in the pulpit and in their leadership, but in private they were very meek and mild, quiet, humble, kind, gentle. That's what I noticed. I've had the privilege of walking with some that I would, I would classify as walking with greatness. All of them were humble. And that's what the Holy Spirit of God does in the life. Great things might be accomplished. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. But the end result is a meekness, a mildness, a gentleness, a kindness, a sweetness. The fruit of the Spirit manifested out of our life. It's not what we work up to. It's what we yield to. Enables us to be more effective in dealing with people, winning the lost, comforting, edifying, doing our, our part for God. But we do it in a manner that is like Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Amen and amen. We're going to be singing in just a moment a hymn of invitation. And if the Spirit of God is moving you to step out and come down and have a word of prayer, that would be wonderful. I'm going to extend the same invitation that uh, is being extended even now uh, on online as we are offline. The invitation is to receive Christ. If you've never prayed to receive the Lord Jesus, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Save me right now. And He'll do that. If you'd like to come forward for any reason, we're going to offer the invitation now.